Amen. Well, I invite you to open the Word of God to the Old Testament book of Malachi. We continue to look at Malachi in this month of August. Malachi chapter 2 is our text this morning, Malachi chapter 2. Pastor Adam will be back next week leading into chapter 3 and then the week after that concluding uh, this short little series through the book of Malachi. So Malachi, again, uh, Matthew, then a quick left and you'll find it uh, there, the last book in the Old Testament. So we turn to the word of the Lord, let's likewise turn to him in prayer together. Our Father, oh, how we thank you for giving us your word. Father, thank you for not leaving us in the dark about reality. Father, thank you for shining into the darkness of our sin and bringing us the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word that is true, that is living, that is active. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified through the preaching of it this day. And Lord, we pray that you would do a work in our lives as only you are able to do. Father, we ask that you would grant eyes to see and ears to hear. In the name of our Savior Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Well, most, if not all, of the Old Testament prophets really did have a tough task in front of them. Prophets in the Old Testament were people that God would raise up to come to usually a disobedient Israel and call them back to covenant faithfulness, call them back to the very promises that God had originally given them in the first place. So this was a difficult task. Even if we kind of think all the way back to Moses in the Old Testament, Moses going down into Egypt, God bringing them through the wilderness, and Moses towards the end of his life bringing him up on the mount as he, as it were, is looking into the promised land. Deuteronomy 31, 16 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. (laughs) What a... What a thing for Moses at the end of his ministry to hear about what the congregation of Israel was going to do in the future. God said they're they're going to follow foreign gods. And of course, that is exactly what we see taking place throughout the Old Testament. And God's people turning away from God. God's people seeking to live like the nations around them. God's people seeking to worship those same gods of the people they lived among. But God is gracious, and he sent his prophets to his erring people, the prophets to bring them back to covenant faithfulness. Indeed, that is what prophets were sent to do. Prophets were sent to deliver the word of the Lord to the people of God. 
And that's what we see taking place in the book of Malachi. In fact, Malachi, the Hebrew name Malachi means my messenger. That's what this name, his name means. So it's the messenger of God sent to call the people back. And the people Malachi was sent to, we saw in chapter 1 and chapter 2, they were stuck in complacency in their lives. They were apathetic, apathetic to the things of God. They were treating their worship of God mechanically, just going through the motions of the right things to do, but having no true inner devotion towards God in their hearts. And so God, by His grace, raised up Malachi to His people to call them back, to return, stop being faithless, and God is calling them to be faithful. And this message is a message we likewise need to hear today. Because in our passage, God through Malachi is going to point out further examples of how Israel was erring. Two areas where their unfaithfulness was just glaringly present. First, we could say he points to the pulpit. Malachi comes and he points to the priests. He he points to the leaders because the priests were not being faithful ministers. They, they weren't delivering God's word to God's people. And so Malachi is going to come. We're going to see like an Old Testament prophet with some pretty strong language. So he's going to call out the leadership. And second, Malachi is going to point, we could say from the priest or the pulpit, we could say, and then he's going to kind of point at the congregation. Kind of what the people, the sin that they were living in. How they were complacent to the commands of God and how that showed up in their life and so he's going to point to a couple of areas of their life that they were being complacent the first of those he's going to point to who it was that they were marrying okay we're going to look at that and then he's going to point to divorce so we're going to uh, look at today kind of a wide range of things from the necessity of the word of God to who it is, if you're single, that you marry, and then how you live as a married couple if you are married. So the prophet is going to hit all of these things today. And kind of the thing that ties them all together is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness and devotion to God in your life. No matter what stage you are currently in, Malachi is calling us to faithfulness, to take heart to the commands of God, to guard ourselves. There's a saying that goes like this, as goes the pulpit, so goes the church. Meaning that if the pulpit ministry of the church begins to take God's word lightly, usually, likewise, the congregation does the same thing. We see this play itself out in history and so that's what Malachi is coming he's pointing to the leaders saying you're being unfaithful not sharing the word of God and here are the results of that and then he kind of turns to the people and he says here is how this is evident in your lives here's some glaring sin and he's calling them back to covenant faithfulness and love of him So that's what we're going to see today. It's sort of this, we could call it a trickle-down unfaithfulness from the top all the way down the leadership, down into the people. So let's begin by looking 
at what God says to the priests in verse 1 to 9. So the Lord rebukes the priests. That's our first point today. The Lord rebukes the priests. We see this in verse 1 to 9. The ones who were supposed to be leading God's people again to covenant faithfulness were actually leading God's people towards covenant unfaithfulness. And so Malachi, just as minor prophets and major prophets in the Old Testament, do they bring a big cup of a big bucket of cold water and they just kind of throw it right in their face. So we begin with the curse of the Lord in verse 1 to 3. Listen to what Malachi comes to the people and here's what he says. Here's the message of the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now, O priests, this command is for you. Or you can already see this looks like it's going to go south. Verse number 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Wow. So this definitely is a warning from Malachi and from the Lord. He's meaning here to wake the priests up with this strong language. Can you imagine Malachi? And I'm just thankful for these prophets of God. Can you, can you imagine coming up delivering this message to the priest? I don't know if it was in the temple uh, or wherever it was where Malachi, kind of one coming against many, comes up and fires this off at them. I can imagine the priests, their response as they hear this, just like kind of when we hear correction, immediately our pride comes up and we want to defend ourselves and, well, here's what I'm really doing, right? You can imagine the priest hearing this. This would be a rough thing to hear. Well, what, do, what is it that they were doing wrong? What does Malachi bring up? How does he describe them? Well, he says they do not listen and they do not take the things of God to heart. It's, he's saying you, you're not caring about these things and you're not even putting forth an effort to please God. You're not concerned with giving God honor. Again, verse 2, you're not laying it to heart. You're not hearing God's instruction and God's commands. You're not taking Him seriously. And this is leveled at the priests. These are the ones who are supposed to be leading God's people and instructing them. So Malachi says, God will indeed curse you. Indeed, he already has. God will curse their blessings. To curse, part of that word means to take away. Here it means to take away the blessings and give bad things in their place. Verse number three spells it out. God will rebuke or stop their offspring from serving. God has even said here to spread dung on their faces, the dung of their offerings. And you remember he talked about their offerings in chapter 1, the lame and the bad that they brought to him. Very vivid imagery. Imagery, of course, that the priests would know 
Because some offerings, in the offerings they offered up of the animal, some, sometimes if it wasn't a whole burnt offering, they would take parts of the animal. Some would go to the priest, other would be offered up to the Lord, and these unclean parts would be taken outside and they would be burned. And Malachi, in essence, is using this to the priest, something they would see every single day. He says, that's exactly what you're going to be like. God will cast you away because you are unclean. You're unfit. So again, what brings this strong language upon the leaders and the priests here? They were offering the sacrifices. They were at least doing that. So why would God bring this curse upon him? Well, again, God is not interested in a simple, hollow worship of him. God certainly isn't interested in hollow ministers who just seek to go through the motions of the things that they're supposed to do. You see, once again, we see the point from this curse here that we must take God seriously. We must take his commands seriously. The promises that God off offers us in his word, we must listen. We must hear them. We must take them to heart and not just reject them. So we see here Malachi showing the curse of the Lord. You know, a curse and the curse is a concept that we find all throughout the Bible. God is a God of compassion, and God is a God of mercy. God is also a God of judgment. Ultimately, we see those two concepts coming together at the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. For at the cross, we see the very curse of God, the punishment of God, laid upon the shoulders of Jesus the Christ. What curse did Jesus get? Not the curse he deserved, for the Bible is clear, isn't it? Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. It was the curse of us, the sin that we deserve that was taken and laid upon the cross and laid upon Jesus' shoulders as he became a curse for us. This is the very gospel message that we sing of, that Christ died for our sins. Ours was the sin. Christ is the Savior who bore our sin and the wrath of God, the curse of God, was poured out on Christ, and we receive the blessing of Christ through his good works. We receive forgiveness of sins. And so we see this curse motif, as it were, all throughout the scriptures from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And we see it here in the Minor Prophets, this concept of a curse. So Malachi brings this. He throws this bucket upon him. Secondly, we see a contrast that he makes of the priest. So basically, he's going to come to the priest here and he's going to draw a contrast from verse four to seven where he's going to say, this is what it was originally meant to look like. Here's, here's the original kind of foundation of the Levites and the Levitical priesthood from the Old Testament. And then in verse 8 and 9, he's going to kind of speak about the current situation in Israel. That is, here's what you guys are doing. All right, so he brings this bucket of cold water of a curse and throws that on them. And then he says, look, here's what you were meant to do as priests and here's what you are doing. So listen to the contrast. We're going to read verse 4 to 9. And when we get to verse number 8, you're going to see that but, and he's going to say, but here's what you've been doing. So verse 4 to 9, look at it with me. So shall you know 
that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So Malachi, again, kind of uses a history lesson, and he goes and he points them back to the beginning. And he said, here's, here's what God had first called you to do. As we think about this concept of priests, and even as we kind of fast forward into our own day, we know that in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, the pastor or elder is not the same as the Old Testament priest. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Levitical priesthood. He is the one who fulfills this role. And in his ministry, Jesus Christ, in his prophetic ministry, spoke the true word of God to us. And then we move on from the ministry of Christ and the establishment of the local church in the New Testament. And there we see a lot of overlap with the elder or slash pastor, same thing, in the New Covenant in the roles and responsibility that they have from the priest in the Old Testament. It's not a one-to-one, right? We're not uh, uh, offering sacrifices, right? We, we, we're ministers over the Lord's table, which calls us and points us back to that, but we're not making sacrifices daily, but there's a lot of overlap. And we're just going to point some of those out as we look at these verses. In verse 4, Malachi is reminding them of God's command. And he brings this up so that they will be convicted from it. The Lord's covenant with Levi and the Levitical priesthood was one of life and peace. As a covenant, he describes it as life and peace. It was good. It was a, a blessing. It wasn't a, a covenant of curse and death. And Levi and the Levitical priesthood were to fear God. Verse 5 says, He stood in awe of my name that is who God was this Levitical priesthood this Levite these priests feared God we've seen that concept of fear in this book already they feared the God they worship he listened to him what does it look like to fear God they took God seriously they listened to him the things that he would have to say they would take it to heart and the Levitical priesthood that's what they were supposed to do and above all, even as we think and kind of fast forward to today, ministers are to be people who fear God and seek God and seek to teach and give instruction from God's Word. On difficult topics, there's always a temptation 
for leaders, elders in the church to fear people more than God? What if being faithful to God and preaching God's word actually means that people will reject you for doing that? God's people are always called to faithfulness. And somewhere along the way, the Old Testament priests fell into this sin of fearing the people more than they feared God. Of, of, of saying and giving instruction, not from the things of the Lord, but what the people would accept that was different than what God told them. Pastors can do the same today. The cure, the cure in all of this is for ministers, is for us to be a people, leaders in the church, to be a people who fear God. To realize that God is the one who must be pleased with their service. To fear God, to take to heart His commands from His word and to seek with all their might to be faithful to those things. The priest in Malachi's day, verse 8, had turned aside from the way. Instead of, verse 6, turning many from iniquity, verse number 8, they cause many to stumble by their instruction. Instead of guarding knowledge, verse number 7, they corrupted it, verse number 8. Instead of people coming to the priest to seek instruction from their mouths, they were showing partiality in their instruction. They were letting some people get away with some things and other people not. Most likely this had to do with money, as many times it often does. Maybe those that could pad them or or those that gave more money, they could get by with more, but other people not so much. Always a sin. I hope that we can see from these verses how primary the Word of God is to the people of God. What you should expect from your elders and the elders of this church are people who love the Word of God. People who take the Word of God to heart. People who fear God. Frankly, elders who care more about what God thinks than about what you think. You should expect this always from the pulpit for the Word of God to be read, for the Word of God to be explained, for the Word of God to be taught, and the Word of God to be applied Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. The church must hold its leaders accountable to faithfully preach and apply God's Word. That's why we have a statement of faith that we accept and that we're not to teach contrary to this statement and the Word of God. All teachers need to hear this. It's vital in the ministry. And let me just say here and just kind of pause and think as we think about RGBC, I'm so thankful. I am so thankful for the teachers that God has here and that He has raised up here in Redeeming Grace. I'm so thankful of the two years that I've been able to be here to see and to see our teachers, the vast majority, that come and that teach the adult equip hour, how we are blessed to have teachers who teach all the way from the children in our children's Sunday school time as these faithful teachers are week in, week out, all year long teaching God's word to our little ones. I'm so thankful for you, those that teach the youth So thankful for how you take God's word seriously and how you seek to teach it. I'm so thankful for our senior pastor 
Pastor Adam, he's been away on vacation. He's really senior now, just turned 40 yesterday. You've got to give him a hard time for that. He's a really senior pastor. I'm just kidding. That's meant to hurt him, not you, so don't, don't worry about that. Right? I'm so thankful for him that he is one who takes God's word to heart to seek, to teach it, explain it, and to preach it. We are so very blessed, and we should be thankful for that. And all of us, I think, can take from these verses of what we see going on here, we all must be people who love God's word. A congregation of people who want to know what God says, who want to know what the word of the Lord says. So in your lives, make time to hear God's word. Place an emphasis in your life on knowing what it is that God says. Seek to grow in your ability to understand God's word, understand his word, and also to interpret it and to apply it, that we would be a people who are growing in that. Give an ear as best you can. Give an ear to listening to the sermons. What, what is it that God is saying through his Holy Spirit and through this text to me? Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, that we looked at a number of weeks ago is just such a vital, important verse that we are to be not conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed, right, from this world, from this earthly way of living. We're to be transformed by that. How? By the renewing of our minds. How does that occur if it were not from the word of the Lord? Our minds need to be corrected. Our minds need to see what is reality, true and right. And that word of reality and truth does not come from within us that we somehow think that we know what reality is and we know how we are to be saved and we know how we are to live. Oh, no, no, no. That word comes from outside of us through God's word and we receive it. You see, we're the ones that are to be molded by God's word. We're not to seek to mold it to conform to what we think it should teach. So I think we see that here in, in, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, we see this importance to take the instruction of God seriously in our lives, to take it to heart, to listen to it, to place emphasis upon it when it is taught, and to read it ourselves, to expose ourselves to it, and to receive it. May we continue to be a people who love God's word, and may we ever grow and grow in our love for it. Well, that was not what the priests were doing. So Malachi came to call them to faithfulness in that. And in verses 10 and following that we're looking at today, verse 10 and 16, Malachi kind of takes that scope and he opens it and he's going to speak more broadly here to the congregation. But the same problem that the priest had, the people also had. They were not taking God seriously. They were not living faithful lives. They were not guarding their heart and so two areas that he raises up, and we see these verse 
10 to 16, the Lord rebukes the congregation. We'll use that as a, as a point here. Verse 10 to 16, the Lord rebukes the congregation. So the rebuke to the priest and then kind of widening up saying, here, let me say this to the congregation. As the people likewise were living in sin. There are two main points in these verses. Verse 10 to 12 and then verse 13 to 16. So in the first, God rebuke is seen we could call it at the corporate level as he speaks to God's people in general. So we'll call the first point here corporate unfaithfulness. Verse 10 to 12. When you look at verse 10, it kind of draws in the people here with the first thing that he says that they would agree on. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers. So you know, they would all say, yes, we agree to those things. Yes, we agree we have one Father, it's God Almighty. And yes, uh, one God has created them. Yes, God created us, we agree with that. And then he comes in and says, well, why are we profaning that covenant? The covenant of our fathers. To profane means to treat something as common, to treat it as ordinary. It's the antonym of holy. Well, how were the people not being faithful? How were they breaking the covenant? Look at the next verse, 11 to 12. Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. In short, the people's faithlessness showed up in who they married. Prophets are always those people that kind of step on your toes, you know, when they come. And he's pointing here to that. It's who they were marrying. The text says they married the daughter of a foreign god. Okay, to, to, to speak anachronistically, we could say... They married unbelievers. The phrase, the daughter of a foreign god, doesn't mean they were marrying Moloch's, uh, Molech's daughter per se. It meant they were marrying women who were devoted to another religion and to another god. They were marrying women, these men, as he calls them out, they were marrying women who were not trusting in the promises of God and not living for them. In fact, they were, weren't just not doing those things. They were actively worshiping a false god. The text here in front of us doesn't prohibit marrying someone of a different nationality. For example, just think in the Old Testament about the book of Ruth. Just think about Boaz, who's described as a righteous man who married Ruth. And you'll remember who Ruth was. Ruth was a Moabite, right? She was a Moabite. This is from the enemy of God. So, so that isn't what God is calling out here. In fact, just a couple pages, pages over, Matthew chapter 1, verse number 5 we see that Ruth the Moabite is actually in the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the point is, it wasn't instruction not to marry someone from another race or nationality. The problem is where marrying a non-believer. So he's calling them out on this, this particular area of their lives. I mean, it's just... Think about God's word and apply it to those of you who are not married here this morning especially 
to the youth as you're not married and you're younger and you're coming up, although this is applicable to all singles. This instruction of God's word hits at a very foundational level in your life, a very personal level. One of the most important decisions you will make in life is who you will marry and who you will not marry. On such an important decision in your life with huge ramifications, should you not listen to God's instruction? Should you not say, let me receive God's word and take it seriously on this most foundational point in my life of who I am to marry? God's word here is clear. The Proverbs, they speak about guarding your heart. The Song of Solomon speaks about not stirring up love until the proper time. And don't set, uh, even in the New Testament, we see in Corinthians a call there to not be unequally yoked with another. And so the call is for you, just very practically, don't set yourself up or open yourself up for marriage to a person who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't think that you can bring someone to salvation by marrying them. Has that happened? Yes. Does it happen all the time? (laughs) It's not been my experience of what I've seen. Marriage is amazing. Marriage is wonderful. God created it, and marriage is hard. You're amening inside. I know you are. And how do you perceive, I'm back to you, those of you that aren't, aren't married and are young in particular, how do you perceive marriage going if your spouse isn't likewise committed to God and being obedient to God and loving God and seeking to live in obedience to Him? My advice to you would be to seek to find someone who loves God more than they love you. and to be obedient to God's word. Well, Malachi continues in these verses and he speaks to those who did marry, who married uh, presumably in the faith, but who then came to divorce their wife, wife and marry someone else. And that someone else most likely was an unbeliever. You'll see this individual unfaithfulness as it were in verse 13 to 16. Now, there's a whole lot going on in these verses. And what I hope to accomplish just quickly here is to hit the main points of what is being said and see the flow of the argument that Malachi lays out before us here. He starts by coming back to the hollow worship thing of thinking that one can live in open sin and disobedience to God's word, disobedience to God's instruction, and yet come to worship and still receive God's blessings in their life. The people had a shallow emotional experience, it seems, because God is no longer receiving their offerings, yet it reveals they wanted God's physical blessings in their lives more than they were actually wanting God himself. Look at verse 13. And the second thing you do, so he's calling them out. Another thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. The people respond by asking, as they have before, why does he not? 
Why isn't God receiving our offering? But we are reminded it's not enough just to go through the motion. God wants our devotion to Him. His desire is true worshipers. So these people were coming, seemingly offering their, their, their offerings to Him, having an emotional experience as, as they were saying, why aren't you blessing us, Lord? And God says, because you're living in open disobedience to me. I've instructed you in how to live and you just flick your nose up at that, you snort at it and you go along your way. Let's read the Lord's answer to them in verse 14 and 15. But you say, why does he not? Why doesn't he favor us? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So we see here, we keep reading in verse 16, we see clearly here he's talking about divorce. And he's saying, look, God was witness to your marriage, to your marriage vows. It was done before him, right? Before God and before other witnesses. And he's saying you've been faithless. You've been faithless, and he's calling out the men in particular here, you've been faithless to the wife of your youth. Your wife who is your companion, he says. That word there, companion, it has to do with a partner, a companion, an equal in the marriage, and a friend. Not, not someone to be considered lower and simply to be just sort of tossed aside. He describes her as a wife by covenant. This is a covenant relationship. Verse 15 speaks about the bonding of a husband and the wife in the marriage and how they're united as one, how they're joined together as one in the Spirit. And we see this further taught in the New Testament. And God desired for there to be godly offspring. God's desire is for husband and wife to worship Him, to be joined together, and to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. There was a lot of instruction from God's word in the Old Testament of how fathers and how mothers were to teach the children the promises of God, to teach them what God's word says and to teach them to fear God, to fear Him, to seek to live in obedience to Him. There's a lot of things from God's word in the Old Testament that pointed them to that, yet they were unfaithful. God's plan was clear. God's desires were clear. One man, one woman joined together in covenant marriage till death do them part. Now the Bible speaks about exceptions, about circumstances where divorce is permissible, but these are exceptions, not the norm, and God is setting forth the standard. He's saying, here is my desire for marriage, and you are breaking it. You're breaking the covenant marriage. You're not taking me seriously, and it shows in your marriages. They were divorcing the wife of their youth who had probably bore them children and seeking another, probably an unbelieving foreign woman. So what's God's instruction to them? What does God say to them? The second part of verse 15 and 16. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. 
For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. God's instruction to them, guard yourselves. Guard yourselves. Don't be faithless. For the one who divorces his wife covers himself in violence, he says here. And God will not accept his worship. Why? Because he's living his life in unrepentant sin. And so God is sending the prophet to call them back to repent and to turn to him. And God will bring healing. You see, God is merciful. God is forgiving. God can, will, and does heal marriages. The call is to turn to him in faith and to receive his instruction in your life and to live in obedience to him. God is gracious. God is merciful. And through the prophet Malachi here, he's calling his people, come back to faith in me. Guard yourselves. Be faithful. This week, reading through and studying this passage, I'm sitting down, I'm just trying to think in the original time when this was written, give or take 450 B.C., give or take in that time period, 450 B.C. is when this occurred, the events of this occurred, 400, 460. Why were these men doing this? Why were, was there a big problem of divorce why was there a big problem in the congregation of people marrying unbelievers and then that causing them all sorts of strife? Why was it that this was happening? Why was it happening here? I say really it all comes back to their being bored not so much with worship but their being bored with God. They were bored with God. They were apathetic towards obedience to him and in their lives they're just kind of going through the motion there was no love for God no love no joy in seeking to obey the commandments of God it was sort of a rote thing that they were doing in the way that they lived week in and week out there was no joy no joy in serving the Lord no joy in being faithful to him. And so they looked for joy elsewhere. And they said, well, this will make me happy. I will find joy in doing this. And so that's exactly what they did. God's word said, don't do this. And they said, well, I really want to do that. And so that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to find my joy in doing what I want to do, not my joy in seeking to live in obedience to God. So this showed up in their lives. Showed up in their sexual pleasure in relation to their covenant marriage and their covenant faithfulness to God. So what do they do? That's exactly what they did. They followed after their sin. They sought their sin to make them happy even while they were still, as it were, going through the motions of coming to offer their worship to God, half-hearted as it were, and they were still coming to do that and living just like this in their lives, wanting God to bless them. And the call is to them, be faithful. 
Be, be faithful to God. The call is come back to the gospel in your life. Find joy. Find joy in pleasing and loving God above all else. Guard your heart, God says to them. Guard your heart and your spirit. What are they to guard against? If you're having to guard something, you're guarding against something that is coming at you. Well, it's guarding against a coldness and apathy, the mechanical worship, but it's also guarding against the thoughts of the outside world. Those that don't believe in God. Those that seek to live however they want to live. And above all, if it makes you happy, well then do it. And that began to infiltrate into their lives. You see, the spirit of the age, it should be no uh, surprise to us, the spirit of the age is not calling you to live in obedience to God. The spirit of this world here, the sinful spirit of this age, is not encouraging you to live in obedience to God and find joy in Him. The spirit of the age is, if you like it, do it. If it's good for you, it's good for you. That means it's, it's great. Live, live how you want to live. There's a lot of answers out here for the spirit of the age and how people seek to live. But God's word comes and it says, no, stay alert. Don't be faithless. Don't listen to those things. Don't give in to those things, that, that, that water that you're swimming in. Right? It's like the boat. The boat functions well when it is above the water. Right? Not talking about submarines. We're talking about the boat above the water and then you get water in the boat and then the whole thing just sinks. It's of no good. It's the same thing in our life, right? Our life in this world. We're to be in the world but not of the world. We're to be those who live in obedience to God's word and not just live like the spirit of the age around us. Those of you who are married, the best, the best thing you can do for your marriage is to love God more than you love your spouse. For you will love your spouse best by loving God the most. Love for God, obedience to Him, shows up in the way that we treat others. Those of you who are not married, will you seek to love God and hold on to the standards God has given to us and in particular, God has given to you? If living in obedience to God means not marrying someone because they're not a believer, will you be obedient to that? Will you be obedient and take God's word to heart? And listen, for all of us, no matter our life situations, young, old, in between, male, female, singled, married, we are all called to be faithful to God, to live in obedience to Him with where He has placed us. Will you listen to His word today? In your lives, will you take His word to heart and heed His instruction? Will you be faithful? Faithful to what God has called you to do. Oh, brothers and sisters, isn't there joy in being faithful to God? Isn't there joy in seeking to be obedient to God and pleasing Him above all else and all others? 
Isn't it a great thing in our life to know that God is pleased with us? And for our great desire to be on that day when we die or God comes back, for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom that has been prepared for you. Will you heed God's instruction? Will you be faithful to believe and receive the gospel? Malachi calls us out of complacency and out of apathy out of apathetic worship and into joy and into obedience. Beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, let us take God's instruction seriously. Let us take it to heart. Let us stand in awe of his name. Let us be on guard in our lives and let us be found faithful to what God has called us to. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these strong, confrontational words through your prophet Malachi. Lord, I pray that we would receive your word and take it to heart this morning. Father, forgive us where we fall short. Father, we know that we're ever putting sin to death in our lives. Father, we thank you for the work you've done in us. Lord, help us to be faithful through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to love you above all things and help that love to be seen in the very practical ways with which we live. All glory, praise, and honor will be to Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.